No name is more synonymous with success. Dolphins owner H. Wayne Heisinger, architect of three Fortune 500 companies, including AutoNation and Blockbuster. This renowned entrepreneur has brought his unique business approach to the classroom with the Heisinger School of Business at Nova Southeastern University. With a faculty of real-world leaders and a curriculum based on Heisinger's entrepreneurial ideals, the Heisinger School of Business offers the rare opportunity to learn the ropes from someone who's climbed their way to the very top. Apply now at nova.edu slash business. Do you own a business? Outsourcing your accounting. Then call the accounting and tax experts at TNJ Tax Service. For over 30 years, TNJ Tax Service has been preparing taxes for South Florida companies and individuals. As enrolled agents with the Internal Revenue Service, the pros at TNJ Tax Service can represent you or your company professionally to the IRS. Have challenges with your company's bookkeeping? Then call TNJ Tax Services. QuickBooks certified. TNJ Tax Services can provide training on QuickBooks for any small business. If you need monthly or quarterly bookkeeping services to handle all of your payroll and business needs, then you need to call TNJ Tax Service. Located at Taft and Flamingo in the Pillbox Plaza. Call 954-432-1700. 954-432-1700. TNJ Tax Services. Seaboard Marine is an ocean transportation company that provides direct regular service between the United States and the Caribbean Basin, Central and South America. Seaboard Marine's success in the region for nearly 25 years has enabled it to expand into new markets, now serving nearly 40 ports in over 20 countries. Seaboard Marine's facilities include a private terminal of nearly 70 acres at the Port of Miami. Seaboard Marine carries more cargo to and from the Port of Miami than any other carrier. Although this facility complies with and exceeds all governmental security mandates, it operates seven days a week, 365 days a year, a unique convenience for its customers. Seaboard Marine serves these routes from Miami, Bahamas, Grand Cayman, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Eastern Caribbean, Haiti, Jamaica, North Central America, South Central America, Venezuela, and the West Coast of South America, including Peru, Chile, Bolivia. Seaboard Marine, a trade leader in the Western Hemisphere. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL. Customer service is back in shipping. Live from Atlantic Radio Network in Coral Gables, Florida. I've had an epiphany. Every Thursday and Friday. You mean a sudden revelation about the essence of existence? This is the Rich Rothman Show. Oh, uh, no, what's the word? 1360 WKAT. Come on. Hey, Wanda. I like that. Who's singing that song? Oh, I got right. You have a problem with that right now. We got it. I understand. I understand. I understand. I got it. You'll tell me later. Gotcha. Okay, very good. Welcome back. This is Rich Rothman on the Rich Rothman Show. We're at 1360, just to make it right. And we're uh, streaming at therichrothmanshow.com and 1360.com. And uh, we're at iTunes. And uh, we're all over the place. And we have with us Brian Dean. Um, who we've had on the show uh, a while. It's, uh, he's the president of Gateway Florida. He's also the, the executive director of uh, the International Biofuels Commission, which that's a word you're going to hear a lot more of. And, of course, we have our dear friend, Dr. George Philippidis. Uh, did I get that right? Philippidis. Philippidis. I knew that. Philippidis. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing that I'm, I'm just insulting my friend over and over again in front of all these people. Say that. I want to say it right. Say Philippidis. Exactly. Philippides. Yep. Philippides. Well, yep. so much for writing it down and then covering it up phonetically so I could have that. That's great. <laughs> anyway, we're here, and we are going to be talking about energy. And, and um, one of the things, of course, that George, safe with that, uh, we'll be talking about, and Brian, is, is biofuels. But let me, let me uh, 
Let me just start out with a couple of, uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming here. I know the two of you are busy. Very well. Delighted to be here. But uh, that was that was Brian, for those of you who want to know the voices. Uh, God, it's getting to be very emotional. And I'm starting to, I mean, every day, on, I mean, I get inundated by market watch. Like every 20 minutes, something else comes in. And it's starting to annoy me, as a matter of fact. But here is a gasket fall to $2 of Congress acts. Uh, McCain's $300 million lure for new green car battery. You know, uh, uh, drilling, no drilling. Uh, NASA warming scientists. Uh, James Hansen, who I've heard is really way out there, by the way. Uh, he's out in the universe. <laughs> I've heard some really strange stories about James Hansen. But he's warning that this is the last chance, kids, because if we don't do this, we're drowning in water on the coast of Florida. Uh, we have uh, congressmen saying that, and women, well, you can't do this. It's, it's the most awful thing. Uh, you know, Charlie Crist is selling out for the future so he can go and make it. And I don't buy into any of that, of course. This is all the emotionality of what's out there. And then let me just read a couple of quickies. This is in today's paper. Now, every day they're writing these things, and the, and the Herald's publishing it. But here's a quickie. All right, no to oil drilling. Governor Crist has abandoned us for the dark side. In his flip-flop to support John McCain's offshore drilling plan, Chris is selling our political future to fuel his political ambitions. Many climate scientists agree that global warming from greenhouse gases will put Florida underwater. And he goes on and on and on saying that, um, but uh, we can't do this. And uh, basically, Florida's economic survival depends on keeping oil in the ground, out of the air, and off our reefs and beaches. So what you see very often are these hysterical comments that we're going to have oil on our beaches, that's going to be floating in the water, that we're going to have derricks offshore. Morin's thing last week, the, the cartoon was at, you know, uh, Charlie Crist Memorial Park. I uh, can't use the beach because the, uh, the oil spills are too great that day and the beach is on fire. Of course, <laughs> the, the derricks are 100, 125 miles out. You're never going to see them. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to have uh, floating platforms. We're going to have tankers, which is amazing because when I drive north in A1A out of Harbor Beach, n north towards Sunrise Boulevard, let me think what I see. Oh, that's right. I see tankers all lined up full of gasoline that's going into Port Everglades, which is the largest uh, gas holding supply in South Florida. I think it is. Yeah. It's huge because if it goes up, boom, my house is gone. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Then we have another one that came into this thing. And this is another typical one. As a resident of 39 years and a voter in every election for 21 years, I oppose oil drilling off the coast of Florida. I see no benefit to the state opening up offshore areas for oil and gas production. Such activities will negatively impact our offshore waters and potentially our coastline. I see no evidence that the cost of oil or gas would fall significantly. That seems to be attack, guys, that I'm listening to from a lot of people. It's sort of like a Pelosi comment, you know. Uh, almost as if she's the parent and we're the child. Where you're not no, not we. You're not going to drill your way out of this one. And then you hear, of course, Newt Greenwich is saying, drill here, drill now, drill everywhere as fast as you can. The Glenn Bucks, the the Sean Hannitys, and so forth. Sean did a thing on on radio and and his website that he, I mean, he got like 600,000 signatures. There have been Fox polls out and Gallup polls out that now show about 76% of America believes we should be going after our own oil. Mm -hmm. That's as recent as last Friday. So, first of all, where are these, what's the reality in this? So this is a lot of emotionality. It really isn't that we're going to drill our way out of this. And people say we have to have alternatives and let's, to heck with the oil, let's just go to the alternative. The reality of it is it, it's a little bit of everything, isn't it, George? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I think uh, the point that um, many of the politicians uh, are missing is uh, we need a combination of all those things. None of those is going to secure our future. And uh, we just cannot uh, live just on oil. 
or on, on biofuels or on any technology. We got to use all of those things, but diversifying, that's what we need to do. Up to this point, it's just oil, nothing else. Right. So, but, so when someone makes the complaint that, well, you know, this isn't the answer, we need to switch immediately, we need to, uh, we need to get off of oil. But the reality of the fact is, that's great, we all agree, we need to get off of oil. It'll be good for the world, it'll be good for us, it'll make us secure, we won't, you know, we won't uh, uh, take a lean against the future of the United States from uh, crazy parts of the world that, you know, wish ill to this country, but it doesn't happen tomorrow. So... It's not that we're going to drill our way out of this. That's not going to lower, Brian, that's not going to lower the price of gasoline in, in a half a year or a year from now. It has nothing to do with that, does it, really? Well, I mean, you could make the argument that it would send a signal to the markets that uh, that uh, that uh, oil prices will eventually go down based on an increase. But, no, it takes five to ten years to exploit those, those n new resources, and those policy changes are not going to happen overnight. And I would just uh, respond to your article from the Miami Herald. That same paper reported on its front page this morning that there's far more disgusting substances than oil uh, uh, in, in the waters off of our beaches. Uh, um, um, uh, not that that would uh, rationalize or justify any uh, uh, position. No, 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 no he's absolutely right. It's a, no swim warning hits 12 beaches, and we are dumping our fecal matter. And that's disgusting. I take it, yeah. my kids to those beaches for crying out loud. Yeah, and that's, uh, i got to say, well, that's why I stick to the pool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another reason. Yes, yes, exactly correct. But, but, but I want to get back to this whole well, point okay. that... A lot of people are, you know, Ileana Ross Layton said the same thing last week or the week before when it was proposed by the Republicans that uh, we need to do something, drill here, drill now, do whatever we can. And I, I believe we should be drilling offshore. I believe that you're building an Anwar. I see no reason why we can't drill an Anwar. Um, but she said we can't risk the future of Florida tourism uh, for the sake of drilling oil and be despoiling our beaches and the environment that we live in. Now, that leads me to a question for the two of you. What is the reality? And I want Wanda to listen to this, too, because NPR has been running a, a, a conversation that there really have been, that's good, more oil spills uh, in the United States than, than we think. But I don't recall major oil spills other than there was one in the 60s off of Santa Barbara, which we all know about, and we shared that in an email yesterday. Yeah, yeah. All right. What have there been a lot? There haven't been a lot of oil spills in 40 years. No, the only significant one that I can recall in my lifetime was the Exxon Valdez uh, disaster, uh, which has some relevance to today's news as well. But I think that you're, you know, the central point is is that we need to diversify our fuel supply. And I'm not going to characterize the issue of, of offshore drilling because I'm here in my capacity as the executive director of the International Biofuels Commission. I would just say that, that, that biofuels and other forms of alternative energy play a role, and we have access tomorrow, today, to low-cost, environmentally efficient biofuels, but we have failed in this country on a policy level to treat biofuels as what they, ought to, what they are, and that is part of our energy security, our national security, and our energy policy. We treat biofuels as part of our agricultural policies, and we treat them a part of a, of a heavily, heavily subsidized and highly prote protective protectionist agricultural policy. So what is the answer to that then, George? Because I know you're very positive on, on biofuels. I am very positive. Um, I think the answer is, uh, is as I said earlier, we've got to use all of those means. I think, uh, I think we discussed it last time that, uh, the, uh, about the drilling issue, that uh, it can be done in an environmentally sound way. 
um, we need to sit around the table and discuss and, and look at the options. But we have to realize that even if we drill today, and even if it didn't take five to ten years, which is the case actually, even if we could, no matter what, it will take at least five to ten years. It does. It you does. Find it. It does. You build the platforms that's and what's, the That's what's happening in the Gulf of Mexico. No matter what, it, you, we, no matter could we? Let me ask you a question. Could we expedite that? Is there a way that we could say, look, this is a matter of national security, so the U.S. government will free up whatever the obstacles exist, whatever challenges exist. No matter what, it really does take half a decade to a decade. I was looking the other day at the data. This is all private sector, and it takes anywhere from 5 to 12 years. So let's walk through that for a second. Yeah. Why does it take so long? First of Assuming all, they know where it is. They know where the oil is. Yeah, because there is, there is a lot of exploratory work that needs to be done, preliminary work. Before you actually drill, you need to, to, to construct and bring the, the platform there that's going to do that. Okay, time out. Do we know, does Chevron, BP, all these others, Shell, do they know where the oil is? Or they must know by now where the oil is. They do, and they get, there is a process by which they lease. You know, there is an auction process that goes on. There is, there is some bureaucracy built into that. But I think that if you look at the numbers, that's what they show you. It takes a number of years from a technology standpoint to get installed, to, 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 to drive to the drill down, yeah, to build so it. So it's the infrastructure development takes at least half a it decade. Does, it, it does. It goes beyond that. Let me just add, it's also technology. If you look at what's happening in Brazil, where they've found and identified massive quantities of, of oil off of Rio de Janeiro, also another attractive beach location, but the technology literally has not been developed to exploit that oil yet. It's under development right now. Petrobras, the national oil uh, company of Brazil, which is largely a private company now, is uh, is is the custodian of these massive resources. It's just very it's dispersed over a wide area, and it's going to take a very unique type of new technology to to get at. So this is you know this is legitimately a uh, a long drawn out process uh, to 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 exploit those and, reserves. And don't forget, this is uh, this is deep water. Most of the time, two thousand, three thousand feet, more than more than a thousand feet, and in many cases, ultra deep water, which is below five thousand, more than five thousand feet. So there are technological challenges. Are there. we drilling anywhere now in five thousand feet, six thousand feet? Yes, in the Gulf of Mexico, they are. It goes that deep. Yes, it goes that deep. They and are. so, so let's go back to the let's let's go back to the question then. Given historical perspective, there really haven't been enormous oil spills that have destroyed beach. Now, Santa Barbara was really hurt. That was free flow oil for what, about 10 or 11 days. So they lost, you know. From the drilling spot oh, itself. Yeah, that cracks. was pretty bad, yes, wasn't that it? That was bad, yes. That was bad. But the technology, I mean, it was 1969, for God's sakes. So the tech, and this, this is what doesn't get out there in these reports. The technology, I think, from what I've read, and I read on this all the time now, is radically different. It is, but there is another point here. Yeah. The estimates say we're talking about 10 to 11 billion uh, billion uh, barrels of, uh, of of oil in in that in the offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. We use seven and a half every year, seven and a half. So those ten are not going to last for a very long time. Right. In other words, yes, we should be doing that, but it's an illusion to think that by doing that we have solved our problem. We have not. Well, I think that's very important. It isn't. I, the, what I hear from the people who don't want it, and that's primarily Democrats. Uh, is that, that why bother doing this? And, and I see it in these op-eds that are in the Herald today. Why are we going to do it? Alternative fuels, quicker fix, conservation, better policy. But it, why should we go after the 10, 15 billion barrels of oil that are there? And that's in, it's in lots of places. It's not just 
off the Gulf of Mexico or in the Gulf of Mexico off of Florida, Louisiana. It's in other places around the world. Anwar. Uh, well, all right, yeah, that's another question we're going to get to in a second. Why? All right, Anwar. And they even said Anwar is not going to solve it. It's only maybe 23 billion barrels that they know of. Now, I also heard reports that once you start drilling, you find a heck you could. It is possible to find double or triple that amount. I saw numbers. Get into it. I saw numbers 60 to 80, optimistically. But then again, if you do, if you run the numbers, they will last what 20 years, 30 years. Right. Again, in within 40 years from now, we are back to where we are now. If if we don't have that parallel course to exactly. produce the new technology and conserve, that's the problem. Well, I think. absolutely, it makes yes. You're you're right. So when I look at these op-eds on page 17A. Of uh, today's the Sun Sentinel. This is, and by the way, Guillermo Martinez, our good friend, uh, Wanda, has a piece coming out on Brazil tomorrow on the fuel uh, ethanol problem. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, alternative fuels, quicker fix. First of all, if we don't change our psychology, we're in trouble. I mean, I still, I don't even, you know, it's really funny when I listen to uh, the ads and the, and the conversations, and Sean Hannity does this every night when I'm driving home and I listen to him on the radio. He says, I'm driving the new hybrid, the GM hybrid, and I had the largest Tahoe. They gave him the new Tahoe to drive, that new engine you talked about. But to me, it's almost oxymoronic to say I'm driving the largest truck that they produced with a hybrid, and I'm still getting 20 miles to the gallon. Well, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think that really solves the problem going out a few years. The pr question to me is why are we still producing these big SUVs to get the job done? You know, I travel in Europe. I don't see big SUVs in Europe. I've never seen big cars in Europe. And driving around Miami, who do you see driving the big SUVs? It's usually uh, an, uh, uh, the driver. Uh, uh, you see these Escalades and so forth. Right. With a single driver. Right. And it's uh, it's uh, it's a very inefficient way to get around. On the other hand, uh, uh, General Motors just uh, 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 celebrated the release of its new hybrid Escalade. Which, uh, Which is uh, the one Sean's talking about? Miami at, at Casa Casuarina, and uh, I give GM credit for that. I mean, it's, I think it's a step in the right direction. If people, if Americans are going to be driving those large vehicles because that's the that's the that's the uh, that's their personal preference, and this is a capitalist society, and they ought to have a, the uh, and they'll pay the price, and they'll pay the price, they and pay uh, for that fuel. That's right. But and, that's a small fraction. I think the majority of the people you see now the ads from the automakers. Mileage. The, it's, All it's, the ads are shifted. Yes, yes, it's yes. amazing. It's the same car from half a year ago, and I'm and I just, it's really funny. I said this to my wife. I said this is just the beauty of marketing, and I was in marketing for 30 years, and that is we're going to take the same product, we're going to look at it instead of we're going to talk about oh look at the technology, we're going to go wow. These cars, I saw even BMW, yeah. all these cars for BMW get more than 28 miles per and gallon. I, and I think we finally got the answer. Right. We got the answer to the question, at which point, at which price, would people start changing their their attitude? And I think it was, it's around 350 to $4 a gallon. Right, because you're starting that, to see traction and you're starting to see these things come to the forefront. And, you know, we thought when we launched the, the, the International Biofuels Commission with former governor of Florida and the former agricultural minister of Brazil, we thought that $100 barrel, barrel of oil would be an implicit mandate for the acceleration of next generation technologies and for uh, and for a uh, relaxation of our tariff policies on imported ethanol, and it just didn't happen at $100. And it doesn't look like it's happening at $138 either, because our Congress is uh, is absolute, seems absolutely uh, committed to protecting these tariffs to our corn growers, even though the corn the the pressure on our corn crop, which is the 
as a monopoly on U.S. ethanol, essentially, is 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 is, is immense given the rains in the, in the Midwest over the past few weeks and the fact that they took 10 million acres out of cultivation this year simply to artificially jack up the price of corn. Uh, so this uh, is a great year. Not only do we do that, now a good chunk of the acreage in the Midwest is underwater. Right, and they're going to get paid for that corn that's underwater through government subsidies. Right. And that's, you know, I just saw it. I just came back from dropping off my kids at camp in Wisconsin. And, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be knee-high by the 4th of July, and I didn't even see shoots coming out of the ground. And where I did, they were underwater. So, uh, you know. So you that's know, gone. That, and, and, and I got an email from a Brazilian senator this morning saying the common the operating logic right now in in Brasilia is that the US Congress is going to eliminate the tariff at least temporarily because of the corn shortages and I said don't count don't don't count on it was my response I don't see it happening I do not see the political will we just passed a farm bill that institutionalized those tariffs again and uh, and the powers that be that represent small constituencies hold disproportionate power in our Congress and that's why we have a, a uh, 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 a, a energy pol a, a subsidy policy thinly disguised as agricultural policy and energy policy uh, uh, that manifests itself in our in our ethanol and our biofuels program and it's a joke. Let me ask you a question though. All right, is that going to change? Eventually, I think it has to. Listen, the federal, the Congress did pass a mandate uh, on ethanol this year, which is signed into law that we need 36 billion gallons of clean, renewable biofuels in our national by when? by 2022, right, George? Yes. And you know, the the vast majority of that's going to be ethanol. A little bit, little bit's going to be biodiesel. They capped corn ethanol, and I think that this was a prudent decision, at 15 billion gallons, based on some research that had been done at Iowa State University. That so that leaves us with 21 that, billion. And gallons George is working of where? on. George is working on developing those technologies that will bring us. It's, it's all predicated on next-generation technologies, not lifting the tariff. My personal feeling, after talking to 100 people that do the scientific end of this thing, is that there's no way we're going to have commercially competitive next-generation ethanol available in time to satisfy that need. So I, I think that it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a pipe dream to imagine we're going to achieve those targets without some relaxation on the tariff. Not only is sugarcane a far more efficient and cost-effective and environmentally uh, positive uh, uh, feedstock and sustainable. Corn and sustainable. Uh, it is a. Um, it, it, it's the. It's, it's available to us tomorrow if we change our policy. Now the good news here is uh, the Brazilians say they can increase their exports to the U.S. by about 50 percent of what it is now, which is huge. Which is it's huge as a number, but well, still huge only, as an increase. I yes, mean. as an increase, but it's only still 1.2 billion gallons, which is still yeah, a drop not, in the bucket, so yeah. to speak. Right, it's a drop in the bucket, and that's why biofuels are a component of this matrix that we're talking about, not a solution in and of itself. Well, um, just so people understand, the International Biofuels Commission, what is that all about? International Biofuels Commission was established in 2006, essentially to promote a hemispheric and ultimately a global marketplace in biofuels, a futurized commodities market with market rationale, where those efficient, environmentally uh, 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 sustainable sources of ethanol will become the the norm, and to challenge some of the policies that uh, that uh, that that result in in our U.S. ethanol policy being an agricultural subsidy rather than an energy policy or an energy security policy, and ultimately a national security policy. So we got together with the former agriculture minister of Brazil then Governor Bush, the IDB, the president of the IDB, Luis Alberto Moreno, that's the Inter-American Development Bank, and we formed this commission with the objective of putting, of being feedstock neutral, but also 
knowledgeable of the fact that that there's there's the acceleration of next generation technologies, which is something that George is working on, and the uh, and a free marketplace in biofuels is the only way this project is ultimately going to succeed. And you're part of this, George. Well, we are collaborating with them, with uh, with Brian. Who's uh, we? FIU. Oh, FIU. Okay, FIU. good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're working together. We've done events uh, with General Motors, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do with other uh, auto automakers. Uh, we've been working with uh, oil companies that uh, see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, the progressive ones. And uh, there is a coalition now, uh, even, uh, even uh, groups that in the past uh, did not... Uh, uh, side with uh, with this uh, diversification need now they are on board so, so that's, that's a great move so it would seem given what you're saying and what and we've heard you say for many weeks now and including right now that when people say well drilling's not going to do anything for five to ten years well yeah you're right this is something that can affect tomorrow yes absolutely yes. I mean it, it would it'd be a psychological effect a shock to the system to realize we can start importing fuel that can go right into our fuel tanks. We don't have to change. We don't have to retool for this, do we? Not, uh, no, up to 10% ethanol, like we have, uh, what we have right now in the right. gas stations here, no, you don't need to retool. And then, if you want to go above that, up to 85%, you use the flex fuel vehicles. Flex fuels. And Which is a lot of GM, GM and GM, the others. GM and Chrysler, they announced already by 2012, less than four years from now, half of their cars, new cars coming out of the lines, will be flex fuel vehicles. Listen, Rich, if we have time before going to break, I, I, I was, just as an anecdote, down, sure. down in Brazil a couple of months ago with Governor Christ on his mission, his trade mission, I got into a cab and I asked the cab driver what, uh, what was fueling his car and he said, well, today I'm using natural gas. He had the kit in the back for natural gas, but it's a flex fuel, fuel vehicle. So here's a cab driver in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that can use 100% gasoline, 100% ethanol, any, any combination thereof, or natural gas based on his price and need and that's something that a uh, media entrepreneur uh, such as yourself cannot do in Miami Florida in 2008 and it lar it's a largely a policy issue not a technology issue so it, his it's but so they have natural gas stations and they and they've been working on this for 30 years every single gas and they have the luxury of doing it of starting their biofuels project under a military dictatorship so oh you uh, see i've always felt a benign dictatorship may not be a yeah, bad thing well, it helps to get things started. <laughs> you know, really it helps to get things i'm going to get shocked for that one <laughs> but no but, it has to be a democracy but the, the, their gas stations are the fuel stations are diversified the cars are diversified it's a different mentality and the people are diversified because they get it yeah. well, now the I, question is why did they get it how do they sell that to the people well, of Brazil? Listen, I was down there, and I lived in Brazil in the very early 1980s, and the Brazilians were furious because gasoline was cheap, and it was mandated by law to use ethanol and all else. <laughs> all right, so, listen, everyone hold that thought, because we're going to figure out how to sell this in the United States when we come back. This is Rich Rothman on 1360. Don't go anywhere. wish to become an effective team member in the Six Sigma process and desire certification with the Six Sigma Green Belt, then you need to enroll in Florida International University's Six Sigma Green Belt Certification Program. This program will run Tuesday evening, September 16th through December 16th, 2008. Add value to your skill set by identifying root causes and generating solutions to eliminate them. This course applies to anyone in the organization who will be part of a Six Sigma process improvement project staff, line supervisors, managers, and directors. In such areas,
areas as manufacturing, operations, customer service, engineering, logistics, sales, quality, and purchasing. This course is important for you and your organization. For more details or to register for the Six Sigma Green Belt program starting September 16th, call Florida International University at 305-348-4217. Pizza Fusion, America's greenest restaurant, is now open in Weston, saving the earth one pizza at a time. Pizza Fusion serves a gourmet and organic menu of pizza, focaccia sandwiches, wraps, desserts, beer, and wine. All Pizza Fusion items are served in their purest form, untainted by the artificial additives such as sweeteners, pesticides, preservatives, and hormones. Enjoy our fresh salads, breads, dips, wraps, and pizzas. All mates order upon your request with specialty toppings like goat cheese, Key West shrimp, wild lobster, spinach, eggplant, feta cheese, and more. It's all organic, natural, and delicious at Pizza Fusion. Come in today to Pizza Fusion at 2378 Weston Road in Weston and build your own pizza. Call 954-641-5353 for more information. Pizza Fusion in Weston. Saving the earth one pizza at a time. The Port of Miami is the second largest economic engine in our community, providing an annual economic base of over $16 billion and over 100,000 jobs. These are high-paying in-demand jobs, very much coveted by other cities and ports throughout the Americas. We're fortunate to have this business. And of that $16 billion, international trade and cargo at the port accounts for over $13 billion per year, a significant fact, as well as a significant economic impact for all of us, the Port of Miami, working to enhance and contribute to the economic success of our country, further reinforcing Miami and South Florida as the gateway to the Americas. A new terminal that is larger than some mid-sized U.S. airport. The new Miami International Airport. A new 350-space ground-level short-term parking lot. The new Miami International Airport. The only U.S. airport with sleep pods. The new Miami International Airport. The international gateway to the Americas with more flights to South America than all U.S. airports combined. The new Miami International Airport. And coming soon, 61 new retail and food shops to add to your airport's savoir-faire. Come experience the new Miami International Airport and watch us move towards the future. The new Miami International Airport. You know where I'm spending my next romantic evening out with my wife? At Biltmore Carl Gables Miami, a golf and spa resort. Maybe we'll start the evening with a five-star dinner at the newly opened Fontana Ristorante, enjoying their authentic Italian cuisine prepared by renowned chef Gaetano Accione. Or perhaps we'll dine at the acclaimed Palm d'Or restaurant. Zagat called Palm d'Or one of the best restaurants in the country. South Florida's best restaurants are at the Biltmore Carl Gables Miami. On Thursday after dinner, we could really enjoy Biltmore Unplugged. Live jazz music poolside at the Cascade Bar and Grill. Fine food and live jazz is awaiting your next romantic evening at Biltmore Carl Gables Miami, a golf and spa resort. Visit www.biltmorehotel.com for more information or call them at 1-800-747-1926 for reservations. The perfect night out is at Biltmore Carl Gables Miami, a golf and spa resort. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL, customer service is back in shipping. 
Fresh talk with a South Florida flavor. This is the Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. Okay, we're back. And it's uh, 534 on Rich Rothman Show. We have Dr. George and we have Dr. Brian sitting with us right now but let me let me um let, let me get back to our conversations on uh on on alternative fuels first of all i have a question that someone asked me on the way in and biden brought it up the other day the oil companies have leases right now in areas that presumably have oil why are they not drilling in the areas that they currently have leases on no no they are are you talking about the gulf Yes. Oh, yeah. They have uh, in the. I, I just saw the report uh, from uh, from the government that describes the new leases that were issued, and it's uh, it's Shell, it's Exxon Mobil, it's Marathon, it's everybody. They're doing it. They're doing it. So they're using what they've got. Yes. Of so why does he say? I mean, why did he, he was in Congress when he said this? Why does he think that? No, he wasn't. He was on one of the talk shows over the weekend. Why does he say that they're they're? But if you look at the give them more leases if they're not using the leases they have right now. I think they are. They are. It's maybe it's it's ignorance. I don't know. It takes a, a long time. Uh, maybe because you don't see that activity happening, you think that they're not doing anything. But if you look at the map, all the way from Galveston to the uh, Alabama, uh, Louisiana border, that's where you know the drilling is happening. East of that, nothing, because of us. we have the issues. Well, it's not only us, it's also Alabama. I mean, uh, you know, it's not only Florida. So, so the other states in, in the going up through the panhandle and cutting over towards Louisiana, they're, they're against it yet, too? They haven't no, they, the moratorium the on The other that? states, you're talking about uh, on the west side? Like Al- you know, Alabama. Alabama. Louisiana is oh, doing no. it. Alabama. Alabama. Louisiana, for sure, I know that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Texas is doing it, but then again, they don't have 80 million uh, tourists. You know, every year. Right. I mean, it's not our lifeline here is tourism, so it's it's a very sensitive issue that okay. needs to be dealt with. So this gets posted. This is a list that we're talking about of uh, of uh, oil spills that are listed somewhere anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. I looked at it. Yeah. All right. Is that significant? Are they small ones, big ones? Not. Uh, are we besmir- we're not besmirching the earth with this. I think what's happening, uh, Rich, is if you live in the area affected. Yes. I'm sure it's it's gigantic. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm sure it's devastating. For us, you know, you are 5,000 miles away, ah, it's going to dilute, it's going to disappear, it's going to evaporate, you know. So uh, we've we got to balance that. But I think that there are ways to do things. I mean, the, the accidents will always happen, regardless of what kind of technology you use, what, what you are doing. I think we have to look at the big picture. And for me, just running the numbers, as I said earlier, is the drilling, yes, let's look at it. But it's not, we need to change our mentality. It's not going to solve the issue. You know, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to be in the same situation. And we don't want to do that. Right. And we, went, we talked before the break about Brazil. 30 years ago, they decided enough is enough. This is not going to happen. We're not going to say every time, oh, I wish I did it. They did it. Okay? And now... So I they did it in, in the set in 73-ish. 73, they the started mid- in the mid-70s. Started. They started. They, they saw the hand... Well, the they went, the they, they, went, the they went through hard times. As Brian said, it was not easy. But it was done. And now there are no subsidies whatsoever as of two years Free ago. Market. That's it. Yes. Free, okay. Now, we were talking. Here is this cab driver. He's got three forms of fuel that he can use, gasoline, ethanol, or natural gas. Or any combination, any combination of thereof. and gasoline. And the, and the same engine does it. And this, well, no, you have to get a kit for the natural gas. <laughs> yeah, obviously. It, but any, any, all of the 95% of the vehicles coming off the production line and bought in Brazil this year are... Enabled are enabled to use uh, yeah. uh, uh, that that combination of, of fuel. So all right now they refer to it as flex fuel. How do they sell it? 
How do they sell it in Brazil? How well, do they get people to change their ways? How do they sell it a long time ago? No, no, no. Yeah. They, yeah. How do they convince? Brazil was a military dictatorship. And we didn't mean sell the product yet, sell the philosophy. And they did. They created this program called Pro Alcohol, which was pro-alcohol, which is what they refer to ethanol as. Which the alcoholics got confused right away right, and supported immediately. Right, and they started mixing some poison in with the ethanol so drunks wouldn't go get their booze at the pump at, at, a, at cut rate. <laughs> Government-subsidized government uh, rum uh, or cachaça. They get the vote anyway. Be. They get the vote anyway. But um, but uh, they, the, the Brazilian government came in and mandated this program through the then-nationalized uh, energy uh, 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 company, Petrobras, and they created pro-alcohol at the great resistance of Petrobras originally, which was essentially an oil company. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it back in the uh, 90s. And it's a good stock. Yeah. Oh, it's a great stock. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and they uh, and they force-fed it to the Brazilian people, and they went through a crisis in the mid-70s and the late 70s and the 80s. I remember living in Sao Paulo, and the price of oil dropped to a certain level where people were protesting that they could buy gasoline at a cheaper rate See, than they were buying alcohol. Now, that's, 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 that's the monkey on the back, isn't it? But that, that's the risk that's out there. Yeah. But uh, you yeah. know, where, where George does the uh, – George has a great answer to this. I mean, where does – that price at what level does that price kick in where ethanol becomes uh, talking about forty five dollars yeah exactly are we, are we ever going to see that and and, and and with the demand going through the roof because of the economies like india and china and the deposits being depleted logic says that we're not going to see those prices really dropping to that level no it's not going to happen we're okay. depleting so our price is going to drop but the price of oil i think, I, drop. think it I think it will but it went up hugely today it, it, it yeah, went over 140. It went over 140 today for a while. I was right. right. But, and the market dropped what 360 points. But on top of went everything, to 360. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh that's what, coming in here, I heard. Be yeah. still my heart. <laughs> <laughs> There's no retirement. There may have Listen, been a last minute rebound that Phil I. Phil, stay in Chicago. <laughs> Live with your brother. <laughs> it's over, folks. But the Snellers have to get a job. It's also the weak dollar policy. We are we are supporting the government. How are we going to do that? We're going to raise. We're going to raise rates. I mean, you know what's really ironic. You know, for half a year, I'm listening to the same talking heads on CNBC saying, well, we got to lower the, Kudrow, got to lower those rates. I'm seeing 50 basis points. I'm seeing 75 basis points. And they're saying, and they're voting on it. And Goldman Sachs is saying this and that. And now it's the same talking head saying, they got to raise. They got to hike them up. How could you listen to any of this nonsense? I can't listen to it anymore. It's like, are you guys nuts? It's just, you're just going along with the tide. That's all it is. You don't know anything more than I know. And then it's not addressing the issue. And the issue is, you know, how to get ourselves to become more energy, uh, less energy dependent but, on one source. And doesn't that make the dollar stronger? Wouldn't it be stronger of course. if we were to say somebody, and I don't see it happening right now, say, all right, here's the deal. This is presidential executive order number one. We will be energy independent in 10 years from now. A Manhattan project. We're going to okay. do a Manhattan project. We're going to invest whatever it takes to land a man on energy. I think that's what we're going to do. That and what Senator McCain has proposed with respect to the challenge that he laid out uh, uh, in the development of this new battery. But uh, perhaps there needs to be something a little bit more expansive. I think that we are, we've evolved into a country that depends on our private sector to be the innovators, and, and that, that ought to be the case. But there has to be a commensurate uh, commitment on the part of our policy. i got to ask a question. I don't know about you guys, but I, I listened to McCain say, that, you know, McCain's $300 million lure for new green, and I thought of the Energizer Bunny right away. I just figured he'd, he'd apply for something. But... Is this the way we're going to go? I mean, all right, let's get out there and we'll do it for the giver. And all you guys living out in the Midwest and you have your garages in the backyard, let's build those batteries. 
I don't think that's the way to get us to it's, the next generation. It's, it's not the way, but but uh, I mean, if you look at the substance there, the need to develop those batteries, the need. Remember the other time we spoke about more than 70% of us during the work week, we drive less than 40 miles round trip, you know, Correct. commute. Correct. So You're if you right. have a battery that goes on a single charge, 40 to 50 miles. How much oil do you get out of circulation? And then you make those, you make those same vehicles also flexible, and you put ethanol. So then then that, that gasoline consumption drops, and guess what is going to happen to the oil price if demand drops? Well, hello. Yeah, that's well, that, that's happen. true supply and demand. Yeah, we could have another conversation about and the speculators. And it's in our hands. We can do it. All right. Now, so I guess, I guess McCain's urging for this $300 million prize. I, I don't know whether he said he's going to give it to a corporation either. By the way, and I hope it goes to GM because they got beat up today by Goldman Sachs. But uh, and they did. I mean, this price uh, this morning, the price, uh, the stock dropped 10.3 percent of value of the company. The company was worth seven billion dollars this morning. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's like an attack on the best things of America. But okay, so I guess the philosophy that we're going to go out there and we're going to challenge people—that's good. That's very Americanism, isn't it? I mean, that really defines America to a degree. Right, uh, you know, you, you know, Horatio Algerism. You can just picture all these guys. You know, I worked in the Congress for about eight years, the, the U.S. Congress. I, I say remorsefully, and uh, uh, every day a letter would come in from some crazy in, in, uh, inventor that, working in their garage that had come up to the solution to the energy crisis. I mean, I can just visualize these guys in their garages and in their basements tinkering around, but and and, and who knows what what it will produce. But I, I I'm generally supportive of anything that's an incentive to uh, to uh, and a call to action. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think, first of all, I think we're on the verge of some mega breakthroughs in the battery side. I know GM has the Volt coming out, mm -hmm. which can go. How car? How? You know anything about the Volt? Yes, of course. Oh, tell me about the Volt. That's a pretty car. I would buy that car. It's, it's a real sexy looking car. Yeah, and it's 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 a plug-in that is going to also be able to use uh, ethanol or gasoline, whatever. Uh, flex wheel. Yeah. It's oh, a flex it, wheel. it will yeah, be able. Just, just not yes. battery. Yes, battery and. And the, flex fuel. And flex fuel, yes. Oh, that's terrific. Yes. So, okay, so how far can that go on battery so far? With on the, current batteries that they got. By the time they get it out, 2010, I think they're talking about those 40 miles. Uh, 40 miles. Per, per charge, 40 miles per charge. So you charge it overnight at home in the garage, and then you can go those go to 40 work, miles. And then yes. you have to charge yes. it at work. You can charge it if you need. But round trip, you should be able with a single charge to go 40 miles. Now, if you don't drive more than 40 miles round trip, then you're... And if you see okay. 40 miles, you then go you go to kick your engine off. Yes, the engine, engine kicks in. Of course. <laughs> but basically, if you... Here's, where, here's another shift of the paradigm, Brian, is that people will really start living where they work. That's right, and it's a call for people to write. People We're changing. Urban, exactly. People are moving back to the cities. I mean, it's, oh, it's George Perez is going to love this. Yeah, right. exactly. George Reddy, Easton, Armando, Casino, Terry Styles, the the they're all going to love this. It's the, yeah, the death of the suburbs. Well, <laughs> my friends, wait a minute, i got to get ads from them. They're going to make a lot of money someday again <laughs> on this whole thing. Okay, so we got, so I think that's good. So realistically, on a clean and even playing field, two years from now, we're going to have new batteries anyway. Because these guys are working at it. Yes, they are. The big boys are working at it. Right. Yes. Now we're going to have the closet crazies, the 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 down home inventors. Now, rich, rich, those batteries. Yeah. Many many of those developments come from those so-called crazy guys, and then and the I GMs, say that facetiously. Yeah, yeah. They they buy into that technology and they bring so it on like board. So it's Bell not Labs in New Jersey. Yeah, it's when not. I was a it's kid. not necessarily batteries developed by by just the automakers. It's companies that are individual that, scientists. Yes, yes, yes. There are geniuses working. And and startup companies that are doing that. So, all right, so is that a fertile environment? You always hear these great 
stories that, well, you know, they had the ability to have this years ago, but they bought the rights to it and, and squashed this guy. Maybe that won't happen anymore. It wouldn't have happened if, if private investment, VC money, you know, angel investors didn't come into this realizing that this is not going to happen. Ah, ah, now here's another opening. So now it would appear that the VC money is actually going to be looking for the potential, the good investment. Absolutely. Not the wild stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, the stuff that really has good potential. Absolutely. So Absolutely. If, if we were to put together this think tank and organize this, I think what it really needs is an organization, a really strong sense of leadership and organization that's quasi-public-private sector, and I in, think. In the absence of public leadership, because we don't have leadership in energy No, issues. we have nothing. No, no, the no private we have nothing. Sector, We have chaos right now. No, the private money has come in and put some order and said, okay, uh, they see that this is a big problem, and they are investing now in batteries, in, in, in next-generation fuels, in building plants in Latin America to produce more ethanol, which is, by the way, the fastest and lowest risk means of boosting our liquid transportation fuels here in the States. Okay, so how fast? Now, of course, if we turn that spigot on from Brazil, for example, that could be done tomorrow. Well, it could be done. I mean, let me give you a statistic. Brazil has 70 million hectares of land under agricultural cultivation right now. Brazil, for those of you who don't know, Brazil, Brazil is big. It's, it's huge. Country. It's the size of the U.S. It's the size of the continental U.S. minus Alaska. It sticks way it. out in the Atlantic. Just right. let those people know. Mm -hmm. The only one that has a different time zone. Going and out and let me qualify. You cannot grow sugarcane anywhere near the Amazon. So this whole argument that, that they're going to burn down the Amazon. Not going to happen. Uh, it's, it's just simply not going to happen. 2, it's not going to happen away. because of ethanol. It's the distance between Florida and Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's the distance between the sugarcane region in Brazil. 70 million hectares under agricultural cultivation. Only 6 million of that is sugarcane. And only half of that goes to ethanol. They have an additional 70 million of non-environmental protected lands available for cultivation of, agri uh, of agricultural cultivation, all of most of which can be used for the expansion of their sugarcane industry. In other, so, in other words, less than 3% of the cultivated land in Brazil, less than 3%, let's yeah. keep that in mind, yeah. right. goes into are, ethanol. Less than, are, are, less than 3%. Less than 3%. And now we are accusing... And they are energy self-sufficient and they're a net food exporter and, and they can double their agricultural... George, production. what are we going to finish that sentence? And they're what? With the three percent, they are what? Less than three percent. They are not, right now. They are energy independent because energy they, independent because half of their fuel is ethanol made in Brazil, and the other half is gasoline well, made also from oil. But on top <laughs> of that, they have this huge find of oil offshore. And natural gas too. Listen, and natural, yeah, but that right. goes along with it. And natural they fuel gas. A, a large component of their electrical grid through the the I remnants know. of the sugarcane industry that can't be converted into either sugar or ethanol under current technologies. They burn it to generate the electricity for the ethanol plants and they send the excess electricity into the electrical grid so it's a, it's essentially a closed system renewable electricity now let me ask you a question and I've been to Brazil a bunch too uh, the cars and if I remember I'm trying to remember really hard I used to speak about this and it's been a long time Volkswagen Fiat Brazil Fiat General Motors was GM in Brazil is huge. It's got the so, plant in Brazil. all right here's the question for you how about your cab driver guy what type of cars he driving it's a small, I believe it was a small Japanese car. I can't remember. So the, Jap the Japanese cars are there as well. That's right. But the second largest investor in Southern Cone was Japanese That's behind right. the U.S., the Asians. So, okay, so the major, my point being, the major car manufacturers, U.S., European, Asian, mm -hmm. That's right. Right, like Hyundai and the other, mm -hmm. Kia, they're over there with their cars. Mm -hmm. yes. And those cars are operating right now on the two or three different yes. types. Absolutely. Not just gasoline. The most modern largest 
flex fuel car plant in the world is GM's plant outside of the city of Sao Paulo, and it's a remarkable sight to see. So let me ask you a question, and we're going to get, you know, Wanda, we're going to get the, the director for GM for the state of Florida on the show, because I, I, I met her, whatever, mm -hmm. a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. But if GM gets it right there, and they do, why are we getting it right here? Because it's the attitude, it's the lack of policy, it's all of those things. So how is the private sector supposed Let to be? Let me say, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and there's also a lot of negativity. And, you, you know, you, everybody read the Grunwald piece in Time magazine from about a month ago. This was an absolute frontal assault on ethanol that did not take into consideration the fact that ethanol is not corn. Ethanol Who's is, Grunwald? Let's just let everyone Grunwald, just tell everyone. Mike Grunwald is a, is a very respected uh, Time magazine uh, writer. Just want to make sure they know that. And he, throw uh, these names out. And he put together the cover story uh, on, in, from a Time magazine right. about a month okay. ago, which really sought to uh, to uh, to cut down the potential for for biofuels primarily for ethanol I spoke to the guy for an hour uh, interviewed him for the article Roberto Rodriguez the former Brazilian egg minister I used George's information to give a re you know, brilliant responses to all of his uh, his inquiries nowhere in the article does, did, did he give Left anybody an opportunity to discuss the potential for sugarcane ethanol for next generation ethanol as a matter of fact I think the article actually debunked next generation ethanol as something that is a, a, a mythology where George knows full well it's not because he's in the critical path of developing it and uh, and, you know, this guy had written his thesis already, and he wasn't going to listen to anybody that had a, a better idea. The policies have failed in the United States, but it's not an issue of, 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 of ethanol as a viable uh, component of the diversified energy matrix. It's a question of failed public policy. Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. But, okay, so, now having said that, one... The VCs may be shifting their philosophy, so the private sector kicks in, that and that may, may be that, our hope right now in the short term. That may be the air. That Cle may be the play. That's the clean, play. Clean technologies is, is, is growing immensely, including the Big Southeast. return on investment. Yes. Big return investment. The marketing. Now, you're, you're, it's so interesting to understand that the major manufacturers, like Honda, the, the CEO of Honda about two weeks ago, made it empirically clear, we're going to produce more hybrids than anybody else. And he just released his new generation hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. Six of them were given to movie stars and crazies like that in, in, in California. But they're using them. Of course, there's only one hydrogen fuel cell station in Los Angeles. <laughs> Not a lot. So if you run out, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. But uh, so it's happening. It's on the horizon, I think. The problem, from my perspective, is, number one, people aren't getting the information. So they think it's hopeless. They, uh, number two, the major companies can produce what we need if we had the wherewithal to be, to be loyal to their brands and buy it, which requires intelligence. I mean, if we got people out of cars and got them into SUVs, that was all because of marketing. How many people drove a truck 20 years ago in an urban society? Not a suburban. In upstate New York and Syracuse, everyone had a truck. They had four-wheel drives because it rained, it was muddy, it was snowy, you had a re and we had mountains and hills in upstate New York. I don't see that in Florida. So I think that's got to change. The fuel situation, that message, that story's got to get across. Who, Who's the catalyst to this? I mean, the time that's remaining. Who's out there, George, that you could talk to, that we talk to, that Brian talks to, that sees the big picture and can bridge the politics of it? Because it's very political. When you look at the numbers and the votes in Congress, it's like 50-50. The Republicans always vote, you know, 91 to 98, 99 percent. 
Drill here, drill now. Let's do it. Let's go to Anwar. The oil's bubbling out of the ground. We're going to do. We're going to save ourselves. We're going to move towards alternative. I think they get the picture. I and then I think I, the Democrats, and the Democrats are like, oh, my God. It's like it's like your guy doing your story out of uh, a Time magazine. Well, he missed. He, he collect, selectively left out comments that really could have shown a more objective presentation. All right, a more holistic view of what ethanol and biofuels uh, are. I think the answer to your question, in my mind, is is from the bottom up now. Is the rage out there about fuel prices? It's us. It's us. It's us. It's it's the the, we're the ones who are going to say, you know what? You're out of office, pal. If you don't get, you know, 76% of Americans, as of last week in a Fox Gallup poll, said they're in favor of drilling. That's a huge turnaround. And of the 100% that they 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 uh, they uh, researched, 53% said only. I should say only 53%. Let me throw the adverb in. Only 53% said that they favor Anwar drilling. <laughs> For some reason, they love caribou. They're well, like really the caribou, freaking on uh, that. Apparently, will become more prolific if we drill Anwar. And I don't. They say this. love the heat. They love the heat, and they. I, know. I guess it, it gets them a little bit randy, as the English would say. But I, I think we, <laughs> I, I, I think I think we go, we need to go back to uh, reach to educating the people. Uh huh. Which is our point. Well, listen, the largest special interest group in this country is the U.S. consumer, and it comes down to educating the U.S. consumer. There are groups that used to walk in lockstep with all of agriculture because the way the agricultural bill is made is there's a constituency for every member of Congress in it, which requires everybody to vote for it. They even put the uh, food stamp program in the farm bill to get urban legislators to support it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scandal. But but uh, but, um, but we need to uh, go out there and educate consumers, groups. That, you look at what the coalitions that are forming in Washington. You have the Cattlemen's Association, the Poultry Council, and the, all of the food groups. They all want to see an elimination of the tariff on imported ethanol and a diversification and lower fuel prices because for good reason. Killing their, it's killing their industry. They can't afford. They're killing they off their afford, crops. They're, they're killing off their own their, backyard. Right, the relieve the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. We need to relieve the pressure. They and can't feed the poor little guys. They can't afford feed the poor little guys. And uh, and you're seeing, uh, you're even seeing groups like the, uh, the the National Grocery Association and the National Restaurant Association start to become. Uh, interested in this in this issue, we need consumers to take action. Listen, I want to thank my two good guests. Brian Dean is here, Dr. George Philippidis. 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 I had it right the first time. I, I am so sorry, George. I. I will get this. I promise I'll get this. <laughs> Philippidus, Philippidus, right? Philippidus. We need a big sign here. No, I have it With in front of me. I got it phonetically <laughs> over here. Philippidus. I'm gonna. I will never. I promise on my soul, I will not get that wrong again. <laughs> I want to thank them for coming. This is gonna go on. This is just the beginning of a long battle. But we're gonna go for biofuel. We're gonna go for drilling, and we're gonna go to save this country. I want to thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Rich Rothman on 1360 WKAT. See you then. Good we'll be back tomorrow for more of the good. You make me want to be a better man. The bad. I think this is where everything finishes up. This may be at the end of the line. The business. Good night, doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. This is the Rich Rothman Show on 1360 WKAT. It might be a...